1: Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath and feel new?
2: All right, welcome back to another episode of The Vertical Podcast. Glad you could join me, and we have a terrific episode on tap for you today. We begin with Bobby Marks, my former colleague over at The Vertical, now over at ESPN. Bobby jumps on to talk about everything going on in the NBA today from the Celtics and how they're playing to Cleveland struggles and the surprising rise of the Detroit Pistons. How sustainable are these first three, four-week starts of these teams? i get into that more Uh, with Bobby Marks a little bit later on Quinn Snyder the head coach of the Utah Jazz he joins me for a one-on-one Quinn and I talk about how this team is moving forward after losing Gordon Hayward and how they're going to build up another winner in Utah so all that more next on the vertical podcast with Chris Mannix
3: this is the the vertical podcast hosted by Chris Mannix from interview Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Let's bring in our exposure To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes.
2: Joining me on the podcast this week, a familiar voice. A former friend of the podcast who has moved on to bigger and better things, but is rejoining me for for, for a uh, a cameo appearance. Bobby Marks is back. ESPN NBA front office insider, former gen- assistant general manager uh, with the Brooklyn Nets. Hi, Bobby. Hello, Chris. How are you? I, I got to get something on my system here first, Bobby. Ready? <laughs> um, all right. I got a joke for you. I got a joke. Uh, knock, uh, knock.
4: Uh, who's there?
2: Boston. <laughs> uh, Boston who? Boston doesn't have that pick you gave him anymore.
4: <laughs> I tell you what, though, you know what the uh, the, the positive is is that once that uh, since we're not working together, my wife has now uh, you know took the locks off the windows on the to get to the roof because uh, she knew the Chris Mannix jokes weren't going to be coming. And it, uh, it's funny though. Um, I like watching that team play though, even though yeah. I was a part of giving them three of those players: Kyrie, Tatum, and. Brown. And Brown, <laughs> when, you, when it's all said and done, and uh, but I real, well, I mean we'll talk about it. But I really, yeah. I love, I love what they're doing up there. I really do.
2: Yeah, let, let's start with them because I recording this on Tuesday morning, and uh, as of right now, twelve straight wins. If they beat the Brooklyn Nets on uh, a Tuesday night, they'll go into the uh, Warriors game uh, with a thirteen and two record, which seemed. Impossible to imagine uh, just a few weeks ago when Gordon Hayward was lying on the court in Cleveland and uh, done for the season with that broken ankle. Since then, they've just been playing you know, high-level basketball with everybody. Jason Tatum has played well. Kyrie Irving has played well. I look at Al Horford, and I think this is the best I've seen of Al Horford really since the, I would say probably the 12-13 the season when he really started to peak uh, in Atlanta. When you watch Boston, uh, what jumps out to you in terms of, of of how they're able to do this with their all-star swingman down for the season?
4: Well I, I, when I look at Boston and this goes for all the teams, I, I before the season go, gets going, I write down a couple notes per team when, what I want to watch and for Boston it was you know have a name tag when training camp starts. 10 out of the 14 players were new, new faces there trying to integrate a new system. Uh, what are we going to get out of that bench? Uh, and this is before the the Hayward injury. So you were looking at, you know, Rozier, uh, you know, Tatum, Brown, possibly come, Marcus Smart coming off the bench, all, uh, Aaron Baines, all new, um, all new, uh, you know, new young players. And I'm just stunned that Brad has been able to, with the Gordon Hayward injury, I thought they would still be good, and I thought they would be relevant in the East. Probably not a top two team, but somewhere in that three to five range. Um, but what he's been able to do and integrate all these different faces and, and, and their, their, um, their identity is defensively, you know, they're number one in the league in, in defensive efficiency. And, uh, with Horford out for a little bit, uh, Kyrie was out for, you know, a little bit, I think he'll want to probably hopefully play in this Brooklyn game or in, in the future. And then the role of Tatum and Brown to ask what they've been able to do it from a, uh, a first and second year player is is really remarkable, and then the the rest of the players they all know their roles. From Rozier coming off the bench, Marcus Smart, Aaron Baines, Daniel Tice. Um, uh, I don't know where Danny found him.
3: <laughs> I mean, that was a, that was
2: then, an that was an Austin Ames specialty actually. Austin yeah. was the one that that from what I was told he was the one that grabbed uh, found him. But you're right, Tice. I mean another guy uh, playing over his head. But you you mentioned the defense, Bobby, and that's where. I mean, it's not like there's a bunch of A plus defenders on that team. I mean, before the start of the season, how many Kyrie Irving can't defend jokes were kind of out there? I mean, Jason Tatum is a rookie. I mean, Marcus Smart has a defensive reputation. Jalen Brown came in with the expectation that he was going to be a better defensive player, but I don't, I, that's one of the most surprising parts of all this. That and the rebounding that's been pretty good.
4: Well, the, the, the surprising part is is that, as I said, there's so many new faces, and it's it's a communication and trust level that. Uh, and then when Hayward goes down, to be able to kind of put that out there right now, usually you you know in the early part you went on talent alone. Uh, you know, although in Oklahoma City that they're a little bit of a little bit of a struggle right now, but um, but but that's kind of that is the surprising part is is that to get 10 new faces and everybody on that team has a has a role. I mean, every guy from Shane Larkin to your second round picks this past year have somewhere Marcus Morris coming back. Uh, Have contributed somewhere around down the road because they've needed to based on um, based on these injuries and I think I think this group is only going to get stronger. I think barring injury, the one thing I'd be concerned with Tatum, of course, we always with all these rookies is the rookie wall. when will that come into into place if, you know, based on 82 games, you know, these, these players are 35, 40 games in college. So that would be somewhat of uh, a concern there. Uh, the Kyrie minutes, I think they've done a great job uh, when he's played as far as managing his minutes or his, his minutes are, are lower than they were in uh, Cleveland. So that would be a, con- a concern if, if they start to creep up a little bit as far as his workload. But um, Horford, um, you know, I know he got knocked and we've, we talked about it last year, you know, max contract, what his role was, but I think with Kyrie, they, those two guys fit perfectly together.
2: Yeah. They're, they're pick and roll game early. It, it resembles two guys that have been running that play, pick and pop too, that have been running that play for years and not just a matter of weeks. There's a comfort level between them. That's significant. And with Horford too, it's not just his second year in Boston, though. That's part of it. I think it's the continued evolution of his his perimeter shooting. This is something that he he picked up kind of middle of the way through during his run at Atlanta, and and this is kind of like the 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 the, the culmination of, uh, of of where he's at as a perimeter shooter. He he is he has never been more comfortable, I think, beyond the three point line than he is right now. And you're seeing that. I mean, he's catching kickout passes, and there's no hesitation at all. From him out there, and when he's knocking that down, that three-point shot down as consistently as he as he can, I mean the floor is just wide open for a guy. I mean, look, Irving wants to drive, Tatum wants to drive. Uh, you know, when Horford's out there dragging the bigs out into the onto uh, the three-point line, that's a tough team to contain in the half court.
4: Well, you're right. I mean, when was the last time you saw Big shoot 49 percent from three? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and it's and his his attempts are right over uh, north of of uh, of three there, and that's the evolution of the big man as far as the how the league has changed, especially with you know a, a league built on wings and you know small ball that you see you see it in, in L.A. You saw it in Brooklyn last year with Lopez to, for these players to have a role down at the end of games. That's just something that's you know that. They're they needed to add, and I mean Horford went from thirty five seven. He's at forty eight seven right now. I mean that's a mm-hmm. that's a huge jump, and I and I and I based that all on you know a lot of it on on Kyrie certainly.
2: All right, so so the Celtics are rolled right now, and the Cavaliers, uh, their rival right now. I mean they they get a win uh, on Monday night. They beat the Knicks in uh, you know LeBron v. Cantor or LeBron v. Neil Aquino, which <laughs> I don't. Uh, I mean I guess whatever is you know, whatever you need to get up in the morning to. to to get your juices flowing there a little bit. I'm curious to know your level of concern with Cleveland right now, though. I mean, the Cavaliers, uh, they're eventually going to get Isaiah Thomas back and Isaiah is going to help them offensively, no matter what he, what percentage he is of the guy he was last year. But defensively, Bobby, when I watch this team, they have so many problems defending the point of attack, and that starts with Derrick Rose or or Dwayne Wade or whoever's at the point guard position. or as they call their own. It doesn't matter. Whoever's there has real problems defending bread and butter plays like the pick and roll and and, and stopping anybody uh, at the top of the key and off the dribble. And if you can't if you can't defend at that spot, if you, if you have this these fundamental breakdowns at that spot, I don't know how. I, I just don't know how, Bobby, you evolve into a even a middle-of-the-pack type of defensive team. I mean, when you look at Cleveland and, and their defensive problems, are, are they reconcilable? Or are they something that's going to get better, do you see, as the season goes on?
4: Well, I mean, I think in the Nick game, the second quarter was certainly a layup line for New York. I thought in the fourth quarter, their defense allowed them to get back in the game. Um... But I, you know, it was funny. I was watching that game, and I was about to type that I was I'm going to break protocol and start sounding the alarms in Cleveland. Although we're only 14, 15 games in, because I, I mean that their the team is old, the team is boring, the team is vanilla, and when they don't make jump shots, they get run out of the building, Mm. and they can't defend. I mean, from a you know, it's almost like you're almost going to have to put in the zone because from a, a one on one defenders, they're as poor as I've seen for a team that's been to the finals three years in a row. So does the Thompson, Isaiah Thomas injuries, um, you know, do they get better when that comes? I mean, Isaiah's not a great defender at all. I mean, uh, you know, it depends on how many, you know, how where do you put Tristan when he comes back, you know? Uh, I mean, Kevin Love is certainly, he's turned into a stretch four. I mean, we, we always talk about it. Now he's just sitting in a corner. They they have no post up presence besides probably LeBron there. So if in the East can you get away with it, you probably can. That's why you never want to bury them because when you get into the playoffs and it's you know all you got to do is win you know in a a seven game series and the games are spaced out, then you certainly give them an advantage like that Washington game a couple weeks ago on that Friday night. Um, But I don't I don't like this team at all. I I really don't. Um, And I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get better unless they start. They want to dangle that Brooklyn pick, which I certainly don't recommend them doing. Um, it's it's almost like Chris. They have too many players mm. and too many players that aren't very good. <laughs> I mean, like they're all. They've got a lot of rotational players. You know, um, Wade, um, Schumper, Jr. Smith, Corver. Um, um, you know, Calderon doesn't even play um and they're it's like they're built for the regular season um uh, because he stretches that that rotation but but the guys are old i mean they just it's it's like like where where are you going to get a spark from and i think they got really fortunate in that in that nick game
2: yeah i i think if you know and again we're we're in early november and or mid-november and a, a lot can certainly change over the next uh you know five six months but you know, even without Gordon Hayward, I think they're going to have a lot of problems in the playoffs. They wind up against Boston with the Celtics' athleticism, uh, with their defense right now. I mean, Boston to me looks like a team, Bobby. That you're right about the wall with 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 Tatum, but if he can push through that, and and if they can manage his mid- minutes properly, I think he can be a factor this year in the playoffs. We know Jalen Brown can be a factor uh, this year in the playoffs. I think they're going to have they're going to have big problems uh, if they wind up facing Boston, even without Gordon Hayward. Uh, in a playoff series, but I, I wanted to ask you about uh, about Washington right now and, and the Wizards. You know, they, they seem to have uh, some issues of their own down there. I mean, they, they, look seem, like, bored. they, they seem, seem bored. Yeah. And, and they seem bored, and they they get up for big games, right? Like they when there's a big game, Washington will 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 show up for it. I mean, they might not win it, but they'll show up for it. A, a, a run of the mill regular season game, and, and most of them are. They, they don't seem, you know, like they have the the proper motivation. Uh, night in, night out. And this is a team, Bobby, that talks a lot. They they talk a lot about their place among the the Eastern Conference uh, uh, and, and the Eastern Conference, Conference, Conference hierarchy. Wall and Beal, their place among the best backcourts in the NBA. Is it concerning that at this point of the season they they do, as you say, they look bored?
4: It is uh, the Sacramento game. They got off to a terrible start. They wound up winning by you know eighteen nineteen points on a Monday night. So you know did they kind of you know, turn the switch on? Yes. Can you do that all the time? No. Um, but for a team that's gone to, uh, never gotten past the second round, um, it is a little bit of concerning. Um, but the Wall Beal backcourt, as long as they stay healthy, um, you know, Porter, Ubre Jr. Uh, has certainly got developed off the bench. I think they've done a better job with Meeks and um, uh, Tim Frazier, Mike Scott, that, that group there. But yeah, I mean, it is concerning because. They're, they're certainly a playoff team and a top-four team, but for them to to take that next jump, it's going to be important on seeding. They can't go into the playoffs as a, a three or four seed. I think you got to jump up into that top two somewhere. Can they do it? I, I don't know if they're consistent enough during the season to do so. Can they run off eight eight out of ten, seven in a row? P- possibly, but at least through the first three three or for through the first month, uh, that that is a little bit of concern based on consistency, and you know it's it's like they're almost just counting the days to get to mid to mid April.
2: Mm, yeah, th- they're still a- an extremely dangerous playoff team because of that starting lineup. I mean, Walt, like you're you're right. Wall and Beal, you know, they're still high level guys. I think Otto Porter is going to keep getting better uh, as, as the season goes forward. Their, their bench is still a concern, and, and I think from a coaching perspective, there has to be. Uh, even more emphasis placed on keeping Wall uh, or Beal on the floor at all times. They've got to really stagger these guys and uh, their minutes. But this is this is a team that uh, I agree with you on the seating. Like they can't just coast through the regular season and wind up, you know, in that four-five slot. If they do that, they're going to have a lot of problems.
4: They are. They, they will and, the, and you saw it last year not having a game seven at home probably certainly uh, certainly hurt them losing up in uh, oh, absolutely in yeah. Boston and now it comes with the you know they have a high payroll top five in the league uh, there it comes that comes with certain expectations so um, from an ownership and certainly from a, from a management. And this, this roster is locked in for the foreseeable future based on the contracts from, from this past summer here. So this is what you have and and your bench is you know, your bench is basically what you'll be able to work with as far as, you know, in, in, the, in the future next year. Or, um, and it's limited. So this, this Washington team is either going to be a good, a good team, regular season team, good playoff team, or, um, can you can you take that next uh, that next step? And it's basically going to be on the on, on your backcourt to do so. Um, you know more from you know at least from a mental standpoint um, because it is such a long year.
2: All right. So the, the the Knicks lost last night, but I mean Knicks fans everywhere are are looking at a seven and six start as you know. I mean that's like a championship season right now for for a team that has been largely irrelevant for the better part of the last two decades. The Knicks are not only playing good basketball, but Porzingis is playing, you know, n- otherworldly basketball right now. Kind of a an early season MVP candidate. Only 20 points against the, uh, and I say only kind of, you know, jokingly, but he, he's been putting up such monster numbers in the first few weeks of the season that he's really earned his place at, at 22 as, a, as an MVP candidate. When you look at Porzingis specifically and, and how he's, he's developed this year, is this how much of this is hey Carmelo's gone and it's his it's really his team now how much of it is the style of play changing um with with Phil Jackson not kind of dictating from afar uh, what 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 do you how do you divvy that up with Porzingis
4: i think you put an emphasis on his body this summer i, I really do i think um i think he got a lot stronger um i think he really you know he, he can go down low he can you know from a, from a perimeter standpoint um i think another guy that needs to to um you know stay healthy but uh no carmelo no triangle um he is the primary role he's the primary focus um he, and he knows that um that he's going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting there but i i just look at his strength i mean his lift um, his core strength, his ability to shoot over defenders, his size, uh, and it certainly gives him um, an an advantage there. And um, you know, it is a good start for New York. They're seven and six, but you have to remember, nine of those nine of those games have been at home. So what happens now when you go on the road they've only had four road games. So um I you know I and I and I said it last night with uh, Nitikina that you know he was indoor in the, at the end of game and I think that's the best thing because you need to put him in minute and crunch time minutes like that and not worry about what the re- actual result uh, as far as in the standings but um I think Porzingis has fully embraced being that franchise level player that we you know we thought he was when he came when when they you know his first year there and um he is certainly only going to get better. I mean, it that's a that's a fun team to watch. Uh, I, you know, I know uh, we killed the Hardaway signing this summer, but you know, I, I mean, it wasn't overpay. But you know, shooting is at a premium there. Courtney Lee certainly has embraced his role there. I don't know what the future of Noah will be. That's not a movable contract, and I don't see him in that lineup. So, but uh, but just circling back to, to poor Porzingis, I think um, as long as he can stay healthy and avoid some of those those bumps and bruises the elbow certainly that sidelined or in the ankle that sidelined him in that Orlando game last year that this team can stay around that that 8c during the year
2: you make a good point about the um uh, the, the, the 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 where the, where they're playing their games like a lot of home games early on uh, the road games are, are on tap but w- when you look at, at at what's different with this team I mean defensively they're still a bottom third of the NBA team it's offensively where they've they've evolved going from from 18th uh, last season, in offensive efficiency to inside the top ten. I think, eighth overall uh, in efficiency uh, this season. H- how sustainable do you think that is? You mentioned hard- the way Hardaway's playing, the way Porzingis is playing. Um, you know, what's realistic for this Knicks team offensively this year?
4: Well, I think it's sustainable. I think a lot of it has to do with Jarrett Jack. I mean, can he get through a full season? hasn't You know, hasn't play- hasn't hadn't been healthy until. Uh, This upcoming year and and you're relying on him to give you some, you know, not really starter minutes. He's not playing 30 minutes a night, but kind of give you a a little bit of a baseline and then you can put your rookie out there. So I think that has a lot. um, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, You know, from a defensive standpoint. Um, How can you get better they've been good in at end of games that's the one thing they've been able to do as far as been able to finish out games we've seen that besides the Cleveland game we saw that in uh, we saw that with that Indiana game um, a couple weeks ago at home Um, but from from an offensive standpoint. Um, your your primary guys are, and I and you've gotten a lot out of Canner so far too. I mean, that's another that's another player there. But what else? What else can you get? Can you get something out of out of Beasley? Your rookie Dotson. Um, Sessions is kind of buried on the bench. You know, it's funny that the the one signing that that that's really hurt them and, and hasn't been able to contribute is the Ron Baker signing. You know, like you 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 kept four point guards because of. Uh, Baker's in effective play, Jack's uh, prior injury history, sessions and and your rookie there. So, um I think if you if you look at that that lineup there, the their focus during, coming into the year was to develop their young players and and really it's been Porzingis and and Hardaway Jr. so far in your point guard um that you drafted in, in the lottery. Though those are kind of your three your three focus.
2: You mean Ron Baker is not living up to the two year Nine million dollar contract that they gave him is that, and I don't
4: blame yeah. Ron Baker for. I think we all would have signed. It. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no!
2: No! 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 I mean, he he should have announced the second he signed that deal that he was picking up the option year for the second year. Like the moment he agreed to it, he said, "I'm I'm taking that. I'll I'll, I'll be. It'll be a two, full two year deal, not a one year plus one option." There. No, no, no you're no right, and that's
4: not, and you can't be, and and he's got a um. A one-year bird restriction, so that cannot be uh, cannot be oh, traded boy. without his approval. There, so yeah, not, <laughs> that's I don't. It's it's a, it's an interesting contract just based on. And it's a player who's been sh- um, you know shuttled back and forth to the uh, to the G League in Westchester. He's we played a uh, you know a couple games up there so far. So for a guy that you thought was going to be your, I guess your backup, um, yeah. is, is certainly not the case. Yeah.
2: Well, look, the the Knicks and, and their fan base would be ecstatic with an eight seed this year. I mean, that that would represent major progress. I mean, given the 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 culture of that team uh, over the last decade and, and what they went through the last few years uh, with Phil Jackson, I know that you know, look, I, I was one of the people, Bobby, that expected them to to kind of mail it in this year to go, you know, all young and, and wind up bottoming out. And, and in the last year before lottery reform kind of kicks in, that they'd be one of those teams that that tries to grab that top five pick. But um, you know, it, there's, you know, they're not hugely talented, but Porzingis is is such a big time talent, and and what they're getting out of Hardaway and others, they're, I think they're, you know, they're more likely than not to be able to sustain this to the point. Where where they can get to you know thirty eight thirty nine wins and, and that'll get you in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference
4: it will and I think you look at the standings there's a lot of seven and six teams six and seven teams yeah. right around five hundred uh, Orlando is you know eight and six uh, you know before you know while we're, we're taping this and and I think that's the first six weeks of the season it it gives a lot of teams hope um, a lot of teams haven't kind of um, let go of the rope or thrown in a towel there that's why playing teams early on like you know like a Brooklyn um, even you know Orlando, Indiana teams like that that we didn't probably expect much of. Um, that those teams still think they have a you know a chance of you know competing for uh, for a playoff spot. I think you start to see some separation probably sometime in, in mid December there, um, where you know you, you know teams that were at 500 have gone on a five or six game losing streak. So that's where things kind of that's where things kind of get you know a little bit of a, a little interesting.
2: All right, since this is now the the sustainability podcast, and how uh, how teams you know what teams can keep up uh, this pace, I do want to ask you about Detroit. And you know, two years ago, Bobby, Detroit looked like a team on the rise. They were a forty four win team. They got to the playoffs. They got swept by the Cavaliers in the first round. But a couple of those games, you remember, they kind of threw a scare uh, into Cleveland with how they played. You, you fast forward to last season, and everything really kind of fell apart. Whether it was the way Drummond was playing. Uh, Reggie Jackson you know uh, just completely devolved to the point where you know Detroit was dangling him out there for basically a first round pick I mean that's all it would have taken to to extract Reggie Jackson uh last season now you look at this year they open the season 10 and three uh Jackson is is playing more consistently uh Drummond is back to leading the NBA uh in rebounding he's shooting free throws at a mid 60 percent clip we'll see how long uh that's going to hold up for but uh, when you watch Detroit, I mean, it, it, do you how, it's largely the same guys as, as last year. Where are the differences that you see?
4: Uh, drum The ability to keep drumming on the floor at the end of games based on his improved free throw shooting. Tobias Harris, all star level year, professional score. Um, you know, he's consistently giving you, you know, 18, 20 a night. The one thing that had kind of gone under the radar was the Langston Galloway signing in the offseason uh, based on because we were all focused on Kentavious Caldwell Pope and yep. you know they signed Galloway and then it was like oh they're hard cap now how are they going to fit Caldwell Pope and I think what what um, Jeff Bauer and, and Stan Van Gundy did was basically draw a line in the sand and say this is what we can offer Pope and you know $13, $14 dollars and you know that backcourt with the bench uh, Ish Smith Langston Galloway. Uh, those two players have played really well. Their plus minuses off the chart when they're in the game. Anthony Tolliver, veteran, you can come in and and certainly stretch the the floor there. And there's really not much drama. You know, we did hear the Reggie Jackson name, I guess, mentioned in when Bledsoe was on the on the you know was being talked about being moved yep. a little bit. But it's it's kind of a team that's really you know a team that has a top three or four record in the in the NBA is kind of flown under under the radar and. um it's, it's what we thought they were going to be last year. Um, but it's a it's a year later, which is fine. And I think, and you're able to with your with Stanley Johnson. You know, he's still only 21. You know, can he be a Michael Kidd-Gilchrist type player there? You know, where you're not asking for a lot of offense, but he can be a, a certainly a good good defender. I think that's that's maybe where your where the focus is going to be. But they're they're an interesting team. We haven't we haven't talked about them at all. It's been you know Cleveland, New York's you know development, Philadelphia of course, Milwaukee. Um, but um, Detroit's kind of just chug along and done their own. Their their, their their business.
2: Yeah, Jack, Jackson's a big part of of their ability to sustain this. I mean, the, you know, the, playing that position, which is a grind every single night. Now, and he's an he's an odd guy. I mean, I know that when you were when, when you were when you were in, you were in we Brooklyn, almost, we almost yeah, transformed. I, I did him. my research. Yeah. I
4: liked him. You know, I thought. You know, it's fun. Interesting with Reggie Jackson is we tried getting him in for a visit when he was at coming out of BC and he wouldn't come in. I think he had a guarantee already, so that was our. Oh, I remember know? talking to Billy yeah. about that. Yeah, I, think Billy,
2: I think Billy was going to draft him anyway. I think we, <laughs> we I think we, I
4: think we would have. <laughs> they had him in the uh, witness protect. I think Oklahoma uh, City had him in the witness protection program. Oklahoma would, uh, City would... loves doing
2: that. They love, <laughs> they love hide and seek with these guys.
4: And then we almost traded for him in, uh, I guess, January of four fifth uh, January 15, thousand fifteen with Fort yeah. Brooke. So I know Reggie Jackson quite well. It was always about a guy who is always a backup and can you handle, you know, can you handle starter minutes? Can you, you know, once you, you know, when you move over a seat, it's a, it's a big difference. And uh, I think him being out last year to start the season with that, with that injury really set him back. And then it, you're, then you're really talking about kind of ke- a chemistry issue, but it's a guy who was on a, it's a pretty decent contract based on where the, the money had gone there. And, and I think you do have a little bit of a safety net. I talked to you, I talked about those two, Two guys coming off your bench with Smith and, and Galloway. Where if he struggles, that you can kind of insert one of those players.
2: Where, where, where as you, as you studied him over the years, you know what's the downside to him? Like, where what do you have to worry about with Reggie Jack? Because I think we saw a lot of the negatives last season. I know in Oklahoma City, he he could be really difficult to deal with. He, he he's not the. I mean, mercurial is kind of the, a, a good word to describe Reggie Jackson. I mean, what, what do you have to worry about with him?
4: I think him forgetting what his role is on on the team I think although it's it's good for players to think they are better than what they are that he's got enough scoring around him where he can be the primary playmaker you know he doesn't need to be a a lead first guard or scoring guard he doesn't need to be an Eric Bledsoe type guy although different now in Milwaukee but that Eric was maybe in in Phoenix there where he's got he's got enough scoring around him I mean, he, he he does with you know with with you know the focus should be to maybe play through Drummond or and you've got you know Tobias Harris on on the wing there, so you don't need him to go out and give you twenty five thirty. Can he be more of a playmaker there? I think that's kind of, I think where things kind of go off the rails a little bit is when he's when he is in a scoring mindset, and I don't think they need him to do that.
2: Yeah, the one thing about Detroit is that I I you know look maybe they don't play at a ten and three pace all season long, but I do think there's. A, a measure of sustainability there that they can be a middle of the eastern Conference playoff team and if they are I mean that size up front uh, you know Jackson skills at the point they can be a threat to to a lot of teams uh, in that pack there so
4: well you know what also Chris is that for and we always say like oh it's early in the year season it's only four weeks in and stuff but for the teams that get off to good start you know I mean we knew Houston and Golden State were going to be good teams but for uh, even Boston to win games, you probably, sh- you know, at OKC for Detroit at Golden State, eventually you're going to go in a little bit of a in a, a little bit of a slump here where you're going to lose a couple of games. And if you can get some separation, 10 and 3, 12 and 2, and you bank some of these games that down the road, a bad loss on a Tuesday night won't really set you back. That maybe it did a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, let me finish with this. Um the 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 panic meter has, has dipped a little bit in Oklahoma City over the last couple of days they have back to back wins Paul George goes for what 79 points in wins over the Clippers and then the Mavericks they've also got some winnable games coming up in the next week with Chicago and uh, New Orleans New Orleans played better too but they're on the schedule uh you know coming into the season Bobby and, and I know you've talked about this before but coming into the season we all kind of said that this Oklahoma City team was going to go through some problems early on. They've got three guys that were in the top 20 in usage rate last year. You, you incorporate three guys like that, you're, you're going to have some bumps along the way. How When you watch the Thunder, how is your anticipation, whatever it was, of, of how they might struggle, matched up with how they've struggled early on? and And what is your level of concern of this team kind of figuring it out moving forward?
4: I'm concerned just based on um, the two teams in front of them, or there's a bunch of teams in front of them. But how well Golden State and in, in Houston in Houston has played, especially without Chris yeah. Paul. Um, I am. I thought this is kind of where they would be. Maybe a couple more wins. I thought maybe they'd be like eight and five, somewhere around there. But uh, that Sacramento loss was was a bad loss. I thought you could have just won on town alone in that game. And and I watch this Oklahoma City team, and I just see a lot of guys. Uh, it it seems like we've used we used this word on this podcast, sustainable. That they've got they were, there were there are some really good stretches in a, in the first half that do not carry over into the second half, fourth quarter. They've been terrible on offense. Um, I see it got a lot of players standing around, uh, a lot of one on one, some bad shots. Uh, at least in that in that Sacramento game, in the, in the Denver game. Um, that and that kind of you know sets their offense um, in, in shambles a little bit here. They played well without Carmelo the other night, uh, where Paul was kind of be the the main focus. Um, so, how do you kind of incorporate all three players? You know, Russ at the level he was last year is not going to be the Russ this year, unless unless you you know he wants to take over games because he's trying to get those other two players involved. The one thing that they've been able to I guess hang their hat on a little bit. That's kept them in games. Is they've been one of the top, probably five teams defensively. You know, mm-hmm. the defensive rating is is um, is, is up there. So, um, but I add them pegged as the probably the second best team in the uh, in the West ahead of Houston beforehand. Um, you know, their their bench uh, Felton Patterson uh, Abrinas, um trying to incorporate that group, uh, some new faces there. So, uh, certainly a playoff team, but at this stage they are more likely a you know uh, you know getting to the second round which is you know for that type of payroll and where the payroll is going to be next year that's not good enough that if I'm the owner that's not that's not good enough but you know where where do you where do you go because you know you know you're not like you're gonna have a lot of cap space to kind of build this back up
2: yeah I mean they're 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 tied into this in terms of, of, of- making, uh, building up a, a, contending type team. There are a couple things that I look at Oklahoma City that I think they can and, and it, for their sake, hopefully will get better at. I think Stephen Adams, I'd really like to see Stephen Adams be more of a, a presence offensively. Uh, he, he's still averaging the same number of shots, but as you know, when you, when you watch him, it, it's a lot of put back stuff. It's rolling to the rim. I think there's a better post player there than than people give him credit for. But on that team, you don't get a lot of low post touches, and I think establishing him, you know, would would benefit that team. The other part of it is Carmelo, he, you know, he he can he can get hot at times, but he still shoots them out of games. That Boston game, the second half, Carmelo shot them out of that game. He he did, yep. and and yep. that's that's a problem. They, they've got to figure out, um, you know, how to stop these kind of cold streaks and how to stop, you know, Carmelo from from having these types of outings.
4: Well, especially if you're, if, you know, from a perimeter standpoint, you know, these misses transit, turns into, yeah. trans, you know, you get those teams, the, your opponent running, you know, and and with Paul, I mean, I mean, the guy's six nine six ten, I mean, you could post him up maybe you post Carmel a lot more try to get some more easier baskets because eventually you get some tired legs especially on, on the second night of a back-to-back or when you get into a fourth quarter and you're just constantly relying on on jump shots and you'll make I mean, you'll certainly make your your fair share but when your margin right now for them is so small when you're at, when all these games are three or four point game I mean you get in a cold stretch for three minutes you know you're gonna be up three at one point and then you're gonna be down seven. So I think that's kind of where, you know, if you're if you're Billy Donovan and and this certainly is a, you know, a, a work in, in progress and they've got the benefit of an 82 game schedule is that how do you kind of how do you try to get some more easier baskets?
2: I think the other part you have to factor into is, you know, it, this goes for every team, but that the shortened schedule, the shortened training camp has affected everybody. And, and it's, it's it great. really is. Yeah. It
4: is. I mean, it uh, you know, that was the this team's especially. um It's it's interesting that the games, you know, they're certainly spread out more during the regular season. But I think if you ask a lot of teams this that that going from four weeks to three weeks as, as they did in September or September, October really, really has hurt teams.
2: Yeah, no doubt, Bobby. Always great to talk to you, man. I, I will return you to to Zach and Windhorst and Ian Begley and, and well,
4: and this your, was not the Mike and Matt, the Mad Dog reunion. This was but not certainly. It was, certainly, no. uh, it was <laughs> certainly close enough, and uh, I I really uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris. I will I will
2: bottle up my 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 pick jokes for you know a couple of months, and maybe we can get you back at some point down the line.
4: Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. <laughs> Thanks, Chris.
2: All right, when we come back, my conversation with Jazz Coach Quinn Snyder. Support for this podcast, as always, comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Mannix, Equal Housing Lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Joining me on the podcast this week, Quinn Snyder, the uh, head coach of the Utah Jazz. Quinn, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. So it, in this right around this season, you're right around 500 as we're recording this. Uh, really good at home, haven't won yet on the road, playing good defense, struggling a little bit on the offensive end, how, how does that match up with maybe what you expected the first few weeks of the season to look like?
5: I think it's pretty, I won't say par for course, um, because I think we, we played a few really good games early, um, but the inconsistency on the offensive end, um, we've really been on two different ends of the spectrum, depending on the game, where we've had you know on some level, I won't say epic epic, epic proportions, but we, we've had some games where we've really struggled to score and then um, like last night there's there's times when we've we've been able to to create a little more offense and make some shots. Um, but we anticipated that being uh, the case as far as the the inconsistency offensively as you know your team evolves and losing your two leading scores. Um, losing Joe Johnson, uh, who was kind of a guy that we looked at as, you know, really a, a starter on many levels and, and a finisher, and a guy we could go too late to get a bucket, um, and then losing Dante Exum early, so your your expectations. Um, there's always an optimism at the beginning of the season, and I'm not I'm not saying there isn't that now, but it's tempered a little bit, um, you know, with with the personnel changes. Um, Dante was a really good fit for that. He was part of the reason he and Ricky Rubio that, you know, we thought we saw our team evolving in a certain way, yes. offensively, and, and that changes a little bit. And then guys getting used to each other, and um, you know, the defensive end is where we knew we'd have to be not just good but great. Um, I think to be as competitive as we hoped we'd be in the West, and we we've scratched that at times um we've had a couple games where that hasn't been the case some of it due to you know our breakdowns and some of it due to James Harden being pretty good so that's uh but that's the NBA and we're we're grinding away
2: you knew coming into the season that you were probably still going to be able to be a high level defensive team and you were last year and you are uh once again this year but Even from this off-season to the last couple of weeks as the injuries have have kind of piled up, how much recalibrating of of an offensive identity have you done uh, with this team?
5: Well, we've we've done it theoretically. Um, You know, when even a shorter training camp and just the repetition and kind of the evolution of an identity takes time. So the personnel changes at the beginning of the year impacted kind of our our plan, so to speak, from at least from the coaching staff, that, you know, how we want to play, how we're going to use guys. Yes. And then when you lose some key pieces like that, it it has a further impact. So we're – I wouldn't say we're searching right now, but we're definitely learning about our group, and I think that will continue to be the case. You know, defensively, um, you know, we even schematically were different, you know, as anyone would be if, if you have Rudy – in the middle um, with his rim protection, that impacts what we can do even more on the perimeter. And now with him out, um, you know, one of the things we wanted to do defensively, Chris, was we felt like the one area last year where we were, you know, average or below average was forcing turnovers. And some of that was because we weren't trying to, you know, we wanted to, the focus was more on discipline and, and position. And, you know, some of the same personnel changes that, Would impact our offense, we felt like, with the Tabo Cephalosha, with Ricky Rubio, um, Epke Udo, guys that have length and can make plays defensively. We wanted to force more turnovers. So we've we've done that, um, but we're going to undergo another kind of evolution right now, even on the defensive end as well.
2: When I talk to, um, you know, coaches of teams that play you guys, one thing that comes up frequently is – you you offensively, you really make teams work late in the shot clock. And, and they say you have to be disciplined against Utah because they can beat you in that 18 to 24 second type of range. How much of that is by design that, that you see opportunity maybe by exploiting the shot clock?
5: Well, I think my first year here when I got here, you looked at our team and like all teams, you know, over a three-year period, your team's different now. But I think philosophically, we still felt like um we wanted to, to, to defend. And the other part of that, frankly, I you know, the pace has been all the rage in the league. Um I think people, you know, on the surface equate pace with efficiency. And we were trying to run. I mean that's what I was comfortable with. That's what we what I had done, you know, previous to being here. Um and then we looked at, you know, our first year we had Ennis Canner and Rudy Gobert. Um, you know, Derek Favors and Trevor Booker. And that required us to do some different things from a spacing standpoint. And because of that, the offense, um, you know, took on a different, you know, uh, a different style. And I can remember feeling like we weren't playing good offense. We weren't as good a team. You know, we were we were trying, really trying to get better. We'd only won 25 games the year before. But we were we were playing quote unquote slow and the first reaction i had to that was gosh that's what are we doing wrong and then you dig a little deeper and there were a few people that helped me with this and you're looking at it analytically and you see you know the numbers say that you can be good offensively and not have a high pace and teams that play fast can really shoot the ball so they shoot it quick in the shot clock or they've got a catalyst with the ball that drives the pace we weren't that so basically, we decided to double down on ball movement and man movement. And that means you get deeper in the shot clock. And sometimes those shots aren't good. But in some ways, the, the, the analogy that I kind of started to grab onto, maybe it just made me feel better. But there, there was an NFL analogy where you have a team that has a really good defense and they run the ball and they play a field position game. And so we, we tried to be a team that played with half-court pace, if that makes any sense. We wanted our guys to see it as like it's not like we're going to walk the ball up. We're not going to play slow. We need everybody to touch it. We need to move you around because at that point we really didn't have a dominant offensive player as well. So it made sense for us, for our personnel, and I think that's usually when you see teams and how they play offense, it's usually um, a function of their personnel. And as coaches learn about personnel, they figure out, hey, this is – you know, this is how we need to play in order to help these guys be as good as they can be. And that's that's kind of what happened to us as far as um, trying to make people work and and grind a little bit.
2: When I was flying out here, I, I was watching Moneyball on the plane, and, and a scene in it made me think of something to ask you about, which where, you know, Brad Pitt, Billy Beans' character there, he sat at the table after they lost all their guys, um, and he was talking about guys We can't replace a Jason Giambi. When you went into this, this kind of off season. Did you look at it as we have to find a replacement for Gordon Hayward or we have to do things fundamentally different to become a different, more successful team?
5: The, the, the latter. You know, I think um, Gordon was unique. One of the things Gordon was able to do for us is he was the guy at the end of the clock that would make a play. Um, with Rudy and his ability to roll, you know, as teams really drop off and protect the bucket, we, we were a team that, that took a lot of mid-range shots because that's what was there, and he was a guy that could make those. So um, we had to, you know, and George Hill is very different than Ricky Rubio. So um, you don't abandon uh, a style of play or a system prematurely, but we knew there were going to be different things within how we played that we were going to have to look to. And... Uh, I think that's, you know, when you lose a great player like that, you know, you have to take a step back. And you're not going to get all the answers until you start playing. And and we knew that the evolution, you know, of what we're doing offensively was going to take place over time. We came out this the season this year and turned it over like crazy. Um, we haven't done that of late. You know, we're early in the year, obviously, and that needle could swing back on some level. But that was something that was important. We needed to be a low turnover team. And... And that's, that's hard for us right now because there isn't the connectivity um, that hopefully will continue to develop. Guys are getting to know each other. We're playing a different way than some guys have played before. Not dramatically different, but there's just different things within an offense that are, you try to take advantage of. So it, it, there was a lot of thought that, that went into that and uh, you know how we wanted to adjust to, to losing Gordon. And there isn't an easy answer to that. I think it's something that takes place over time as you know, as young guys develop. You know, Donovan Mitchell um, is probably, you know, he and Rodney Hood are our two most aggressive offensive players. Um, but they're different than Gordon as well.
2: The um, the early conversations that you had with Dennis and with the front office about moving forward and about you know just just recovering and, and again moving forward by the way I would put it. I mean, recovering you know, is, is a good word. Recovering too. Yeah. We can go with that. We did that first. <laughs> did, then did we it, moved forward. But what were those those early meetings like? I mean, how, were, was there any, was there certainty in how you are going to do it? Was there a lot, of, a lot of back and forth about how you were going to do it?
5: Yeah. You know, and it, it, I think, you know, we knew the situation. And you, there was a kind of a, oh, not a the vision necessarily, but, uh, yeah, a vision of what we, where we were going and what we were building with the personnel that we'd had. We'd seen that evolve over a period of time you know it took a lot of ups and downs to to grow as a team and you know really when dennis and i were were talking about it you know quickly after um you know gordon made his decision to go to boston um you immediately when, when and you you had in your mind that, that that was a possibility previous but um you know you start talking about it and hashing it out and see where it goes and, and i think that's where Dennis's, you know, Dennis's intelligence and his, his analytical feel. Like he, he's able to look at this and say, "Hey, we this is what we've lost." You know, kind of like what you're talking about with Billy Bean. You know, how do we replace these, these things? Whether it be scoring or rebounding or, you know, post defense. There's so many things that, and how do all these things relate? And so, as we're putting a team together. You know, I'm lucky that, that he, he includes me in that thought process. You know, I obviously defer to him and, and uh, have tremendous trust in, in, uh, in his ability to build a roster. But you know, I from from a coach's standpoint, it's obvious, You know, there isn't a silver bullet with that. There, there, it's a process, and I think the fact that we'd gone through that process before. And we're going to go through it a little bit again as we find out about our team. And uh, there isn't, you know, a bunch of moves you can make to all of a sudden, you know, keep you in the same place because your players are different. So from my standpoint, I've got to adapt. We as an organization, you know, adapt. And uh, the good thing about, and not the good thing, the great thing about, you know, the, the program here is the support we have from, from ownership and management. And I think for a coach... To be allowed to take a longer-term perspective is really healthy, and I think it fits. You know, it's that's the path that allows you to go through what we went through the last three years, and and to to go through that in a different way. But but that evolution, you know, when you have support, you're able to think long-term.
2: You have a lot of veterans on this team, good veterans who've been part of this process for the last four or five years. Coming into camp, did you have any concerns about? how they would react to kind of the new reality uh, mm-hmm. of, of where this team was at?
5: Honestly, no, which is, you'd think you would, you know. Um, the, the veterans that we've added have been unbelievable. It's We've been fortunate. You know, my first year it was Trevor Booker and his energy and his competitiveness. They, they've all, you know, infused the team with certain characteristics that fit with, you know, the vision of how, you know, what we want to be as a group, you know, what, what the identity you want your team to have is always going to be impacted in a major way, you know, by both your best players and veteran players. So, you know, from there, adding last year, you know, Boris Diaw, you know, Joe Johnson, George Hill, those guys, you know, contributed a tremendous amount all in different ways. You know, Joe's still being here. Joe's got such a quiet presence um, but such a confidence that I think that was a huge thing for us last year. Boris's unselfishness. Um, that there's that, that our team; those characteristics and those qualities. That we, we, we were unselfish before, but I think you know Boris demonstrating that. Joe's ability to close games where it gives your team poise late in the game, and we think we've got we've done that again this year. Um, you know, with Tabo. Um, You know, his defensive mindset, his length, uh, his experience, you know, Jonas's energy and just positivism, I think, at a time where our team needs that, you know, and Epke Udo, his his experience and, you know, he's been winning, you know, EuroLeague titles and, um, you know, has an expectation for winning that that we really like. So I, I think those guys all in different ways have been huge for the development of our younger guys. And that's that's what we're, where we are again. Have you
2: felt that there has been that positive kind of mindset throughout these first four four weeks and going back to camp?
5: Yeah, you know, I, that, that's always tempered when, when you lose. You know, that I think most teams go into the year with an optimism that's natural. Um, sometimes early success fuels that even more. Um, sometimes, you know, not playing well or losing – can impact that and it's really my job to to maintain that and through whatever ups and downs whether it be injury or you know a bad shooting night or a bad game or a poor defensive effort that we stay focused you know not i'm not saying we stay focused the longer term like too far out but we stay focused on the 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 growth process and where we want to see our team and not to derail that process by you know, a bad game or a bad performance, both for our players and for our team.
2: You played a team on Friday in in Miami that has experienced loss of their own from players over the last few years, pretty significant loss, whether it was LeBron or Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch at the the very end. Are they in any way an example for, for you guys in that, you know, they embraced kind of like to just keep pushing forward. Let's just keep, we're going to try to win every yeah. game. We're going to try to do that. And it seems like from, from the outside that's what you guys are trying to do push forward yeah. win as many games as possible believing and this is what miami's always believed that winning culture is going to have a bigger payoff at the end than anything else
5: well they, they've they've demonstrated it you know i i saw eric this summer and he actually referenced you know that and not, not in that in depth a way, but just kind of a little bit of encouragement to me that hey you know we've been through this and you know and you'll be fine mm-hmm. you know and um, going through that process sometimes isn't, isn't easy. Um, and, but we, we went through a little bit of that to get to this point. And so it's, uh, it's true. You know, and I think that's one reason that, you know, Miami has so much respect around the leagues and not just that they've won championships, but you know, the way that they win, how hard they play. Um, those qualities really transcend winning and losing. This, um,
2: you know, getting to this point where you were at the end of last year, a lot of it had to do with player development. You guys are one of the best teams in the league at you know, taking young guys, not just the blue-chip guys, but the guys that are drafted later in the draft, whether it's Rudy or Rodney Hood or now, even now Donovan Mitchell, turning them into productive uh, NBA players. Looking at, at, at a guy like Mitchell in particular, um, what do you think you have in him? What, what do you know about him through three or four weeks into the year?
5: Well, I think the biggest thing that – is his competitiveness and you can point to the athleticism and the physicality and the skills and tools, but I think his mindset, you know, that, and then the other part of that I think is his desire to improve and the work that when you, you, you find out pretty quick, you know, guys that, that want to put the time in and get better. And when you have a guy that has natural, you know, is talented and feels that way, you know, I think as a coach in an organization, you know, that, that's where the development, you know, can occur. When you, when a player has the right mindset, the intelligence, the desire, and then the tools. And because I don't, they all, you, you need them all. You know, Joe Ingles is a good example of a guy that um, we felt like had, you know, there was something there. And um, a little bit of a fresh start for him, having been in Europe for a long time. And, you know, working with him and trying to continue to, whether it be him beginning to have more confidence in his shooting, um, you know, changing how he plays a little bit, learning how to play pick and roll, getting a little bit of a mid-range kind of some some tricks so to speak on how to finish. Um, and you mentioned some of the other guys, you know, Rodney's development, you know, has been really really important. And uh, I think those guys beginning to see themselves, um, you know, not necessarily beyond what they're capable of, but maybe beyond where they are at a certain point. You know, you can, coaches and assistants and organizations can, you know, get credit for that. But really, the credit goes to the players and in, in, in their ability to, to be honest with themselves. You know, say, to, to really say, this is who I am right now, but I can be better. And this is who I want to be a year from now, two years from now. And I think one of the biggest things maybe is we sometimes think of development only in terms of younger players, where, you know, I'd like to think that, you know guys can get better even when they're older you know joe's an example of that at 29 or you know you see different players add things to their game and hopefully the culture you know encourages that
2: i asked you about your the mindset of your guys coming into the season and if they had how they felt about the new reality what about you how long did it take you to kind of put the past behind you and and, and be comfortable just just looking forward
5: yeah not 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 that long, to be honest with you. You know, I don't think there was a sense of this incredible, you know, kind of loss, setback. I, I think that, you know, when your focus your focus needs to go immediately to where you are in the moment and the players that you have. And I like think I said they they're the ones at that point that deserve your attention, and and your energy and your effort, um, because that's where you are. And we've got enough guys like that where you know that transition wasn't wasn't a hard one for me. You know I was already excited about Rodney Hood and you know where he's been going and how he's been moving and you know that you you, you go there you know I'll
2: never understand what teams missed in Rodney hood like what what is it about a guy that scores a lot in college and you know shoots the three well in college and does pretty much everything well at that level is are we just obsessed with eighteen year olds are we
5: are I don't do what we have that, to you know I think to be honest with you I'm glad I don't have that job. <laughs> I'm glad Dennis has that job and yeah, he's great at it because we've been able to find some guys like Rodney, like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, but the draft is so imperfect. You know, I mean, I I think for every, you know, high pick that misses quote unquote, there's, you know, a lower pick that that makes it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's just hard, but um, you know, that's why that's such a tough job and Mm -hmm. I'm glad I don't have it. (laughs) But you
2: were, sorry, I interrupted you there. You were talking about how, about how long it took you to kind of move on. Didn't take you very long at all. You were saying
5: yeah, I mean, I, that's. I don't mean to kind of diminish um, the process, but I think, I mean, when you, you know, I've I've had enough situations that I've been through or been confronted with that you maybe don't anticipate that you know through experience, I think you you learn a little bit about resilience, mm-hmm. and um, you know that that there's no time to to look back and you move forward and, you, um, and then the, the other component is it's a challenge, you know, and I think we all, um, you know, frame the right way. That's something you can really embrace and enjoy. And that's, that was really the enthusiasm, the excitement that, that I wanted our team to feel going into the year. And, and it's genuine.
2: Was it important for you to convey that, that, that sort of optimism that, that sort of we're moving forward to your players, given that over the first couple of weeks, I would imagine they get asked a lot about the past and and what it meant. I mean, was that a,
5: yeah, I, 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 there's nothing wrong with, you know, those, those, that line of questioning makes sense, right? Because it's a reality. But I think the the one thing for us is we feel like that we've developed, you know, culture gets thrown around so much, but an identity maybe. um, And that identity doesn't attach itself to any one player. And so, whether that be, hey, you know, defensively, like something that you're literally, you know, is, is measurable um, in, a, in a finite, you know, short term or something maybe a little more um, subtle like development. Th- those things are still there. That's who we are. Um, it's just different people that are doing it. So I, I think the culture in, in, in that sense, you know, foundationally is strong. And uh, that's where you go. You know, you go to... Hey, let's be unselfish. Let's be competitive. You know, let's be a team that's connected and communicates, and let's be a team that that is capable of persevering. Because that, that you know, the, the the persistence is something that I think we've experienced in you know having you know over a three-year period, winning 30 games, winning 40 games, then winning 50 games last year. Um, that growth is something that you can reference, and you know wherever we're at. This year, I don't think really we know. I don't think anybody knows. It's speculative. There's a lot of teams like that. We're definitely one of them, um, and we understand that. But I think again that those pillars, that that foundation, is this is is the stuff with which you know you you focus on and move forward.
2: Mike D'Antonio said to me that for for his team to be a a good team, they've got to be top fifteen. Defensively, top ten defensively, they can be a uh, a, a compete for a title. Is the reverse true in any way with the way you guys play defense? I mean, you're a consistent top five defensive team. Do you have kind of a, a number in your mind or a position in your mind where you, if you're out there offensively, yeah. you can be an impactful team?
5: Not yet, mm-hmm. you know, because if you know where we've been, our our struggles offensively on a given night, you know, can make you feel like, gosh, we're we're gonna be. We're gonna to have to hold teams to 75 points to win, and then there's other nights where you shoot the ball well, or whatever the case may be, and you know it's easier to score. So, I think that for us at this point, because the year's so young, it's really hard to attach a number to it. What we have known is that regardless of where the offense is, the defense is going to be something that's gotta um, gotta be there. We're gonna to have to be elite defensively um, in order to, to win. Um, at a consistent level. And that's part of what you can control. It's, you know, every time you don't score and you have to run back and defend, it gets a little harder. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that you don't score points on defense. Now, what we've, you know, us coaches have little drills in practice where, you know, the defense scores, when you get a stop, they don't, they don't actually score the game that way. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of you know, positive reinforcement when you score. Guys hit a shot, they get a little energy. Guy gets a dunk, he gets a little juice, and you usually defend a little better, mm-hmm. or with more passion in a given moment. Um, but that has to be who we are. To me, what I've told our group is is going through that. Uh, you know, it can it can build some some resolve. It can build some mental toughness on the defensive end, um, where you're able to get stops when things aren't going well, and then. The other part of it for us is, you know, our, our defense has to help our offense. Um, we have to be able to convert when we get stops, and that's been a real emphasis. We're we're not there with that yet, um, you know. But we're talking about it a lot. We're working on it, trying to figure out, you know, even on a little level tactically what we can do with spacing and, you know, and movement quicker on the clock to to convert off, off off stops.
2: You talked about pace earlier, and you bring in a point guard and Ricky yeah. Rubio is one of the better pace point guards in the NBA in terms of playing up tempo. How have you found incorporating his strengths into a team that's not necessarily used to playing that way? Right.
5: Well, again, I think offense gets driven by personnel, you mm-hmm. know, like we said before. The, the way that, that that really that I, I look at pace, because it's been something that we've tried to think a lot about because of whatever your vision is for your team and then the reality of who you are and how you try to maximize that is, you know, no one. Everybody pretty much plays at the same pace out of timeout. You know, no one has like a really fast under out of bounds play. They're always, the pace isn't going to vary, a whole lot. You know, in a dead ball situation when someone runs the play, you know, there there's some plays that maybe are more quick hitters, um, but those usually come in the flow of the game. Um, after timeouts, side out, dead balls, the the the, the differentiator on pace is how quickly you shoot after misses mm-hmm. and we've been a team because of our personnel. We haven't had, you know, an engine, so to speak. I mean, when you think about, you know, George Carl's Denver teams, it was Ty Lawson that drove that engine. You know, there, there usually is a singular player or a couple of players that do that. So our focus has been on maximizing, you know, what our efficiency in those different situations and what that led me to was that we need to play faster after misses we need to be more willing to shoot quick in those situations if we get an open look because we felt like in those if we do get into a half court game and we don't have you know like a more of a go to guy at least at this point that's that's until that evolves during that situation that we need to be more aggressive in the full court to try to generate better looks now, after makes it's a little different, and we still feel like the, the movement I'm willing to sacrifice um, you know I, I want to take a quick shot if we have a good shot, mm-hmm. um, but some of that is a player's perception of what a good shot is. You know I may feel like a contested shot is a good shot. other guys, if they're contested, they may not take that shot, and so that's the situation where we feel like you know, let our offense help our defense, make someone work a little more. Um, so they're not after they just scored they're not back on offense in seven seconds because Mm. that game usually in that situation is not doesn't play to our strengths and but again you know in in another situation after misses and we're playing significantly faster particularly on a percentage basis just that the league's playing faster (laughs) Mm. so it doesn't necessarily equate but I think we're doing what we envision doing. We're not doing it as well as we want to. Um, but that again is a process and we'll keep adapting, you know,
2: you talked about embracing the challenge of, 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 this, this reality here with this team. Um, and you give credit to the players for player development. That's that's 100% true. But, you know, a guy like Gordon Hayward and others would be the first to say that you, the staff, the front office has been instrumental in, in, in developing him to the point he was at. I mean, he was the ninth pick coming out of a mid-major when he came to the NBA. D- do you take it on in, in your staff and the front office as almost a challenge to develop the next, you know, kind of all-star player, whether it is Donovan Mitchell or Rodney Hood? I mean, is that an exciting part of, of any of this to you?
5: It is. I, I think, you know, I think Dennis has confidence in in the work that that we're doing. I, I feel like we've assembled a staff that it's a tremendous strength. You know, when when you look at you know what Rudy's done, you see Alex Jensen. When you look at what Gordon's done, you see Johnny Bryant. You know, we so there's a lot of pride and work that goes into that with our group, um, and it's something you're proud of. You know, I mean. In Gordon's case, I, I think our our group, uh, as as a coaching staff, um, feels good. Feels like, in some level, you share in some of that success because you're doing your job. And you know, when Trevor Booker signs with Brooklyn, although we missed him, we're happy for him. You know, and so you see guys that come here, that get better. He was
2: fired up the other night. He was, yeah, he, was,
5: he he always plays good <laughs> against a little tennis. fired up. Yeah. He, he used to talk to me when he came out of games. Now he doesn't have to come out of the game to talk to me. He just can yell at me from the sideline. He's he's a favorite of mine. He, he gave us a lot in terms of his energy and his competitiveness and and his play, obviously. But that 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 developmental component, really, that's I think as far as strategically in, in building our group, that's that's where you know we can find value and we know that and it's something that we try to do. And then part of it, you know. Igor Kakashkov, who um, coached Slovenia to the uh, European Championship this year. Um, we, we've known each other for a long, long time. We worked together in college at Missouri. Um, his first year out, my first year at Missouri. Um, we used to talk about part of development is, is playing. And, you know, when I was in Austin, um, I remember, you know, RC and Pop, um, one of the biggest things was just our team competing. And then, you know, Mo McComb, um, who's a good friend and a mentor, just reminded me that winning is part of development. So it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, I think players, as they get better, they also need to understand part of getting better, part of development is understanding how to make winning plays, whether that be defensively. We think of development oftentimes just in a a skill sense. You know, um, Dante Exum's a great example, you know, a guy that, you know, and it's unfortunate that he's he's had some tough breaks with an ACL and now with his shoulder. But the experience of playing for him um, laid a foundation for his improvement because mm-hmm. when you play, you know, you learn what you need to improve on. And then it kicks in too where a player that has mental toughness and desire is able to work on those things. And So it's cyclical in some ways, and that's where young players, where you see – that's why you see young players developing, you know, that people get better between whatever ages because there's so many new experiences. So to the extent we can, you know, be transparent and here's what you're good at. Here's what you're not. And then go work on it and then watch it in film and then apply it in a game and, and do it again and again and again and again. You know, I think that's the way it's got to happen.
2: Has it been hard to keep Dante's spirits up in the aftermath of a second major injury?
5: I, I think there's a lot of people. The answer is yes. Mm. Um, but it's almost as if we, we have to catch ourselves and not feel sorry for ourselves. Dante's the one that's going through this, mm-hmm. but it impacts our whole group. He's, he, he's resilient, you know, and he, I think he's touched a little bit of it, um, even though it was only preseason or the end of last year. This summer, he really put great work in where there's a hunger that he's got right now that's it's through the roof, you know, and not that that hasn't always been there, But I think as he's invested and he's undergone, I mean, he's been through a lot. I've been hard on him, you know, I think in a a very fair way. Um, He may not think that all the time. But, you know, he knows how much um, I respect and appreciate him. And we've coached him not just to be good but to be great. And sometimes that involves saying tough things. Hopefully you say them respectfully. Um, But Dante's – you know, he, he's used that to get better. And I have every anticipation that he's going to come back, you know, equal or better. He, he's had to, you know, when you go through that, you know, you you develop a level of fortitude from a mental standpoint. And Dante's always been, I think, an intelligent, high character guy. But there's a toughness that Begins to develop and and, uh, a determination, you know, when you have to battle back like that. That's why this one was so hard, because Mm -hmm. he'd gone through that once and he'd come out of it and he'd attacked it. And now he's got to do it again. But uh, he's determined.
2: You talk to his father much?
5: I I I I don't talk to talk to his dad. I talk to him. He talks oh, to his dad. Not the, just just the just. The, I know you're going with the Carolina thing, right? It, the great. I've never <laughs>
2: I've never before heard a Carolina Australian accent combined. Oh,
5: like it's it's unbelievable. His dad's a terrific That's, person. Like it's, he, he's a I, terrific person, and he's he's come visit. His family came. Mm-hmm. His mom too. He's he's got a great family. I think mm-hmm. it's been hard for him. Frankly, you know you. To be on another continent yeah. in 19, and then to go through injuries at that point—it's not like you come over and all of a sudden it's going good and you're playing. You know mm-hmm. that—that—that's when you—you know—you have some of that anxiety about not seeing your family. But his mm-hmm. family's they are terrific people and and really supportive, mm-hmm. and I think that's been important for him.
2: Before I let you go, the um, d- despite all of the, what happened this offseason, it must have been really hard for you to see Gordon go down. In the way he did. I mean, just what was your reaction? Yeah, when it you happened? just
5: I mean, there's no animus from us towards Gordon. I mean, if anybody, you know, if that could be perceived when, when, you know, when a player and a team kind of split up. But he did. He he really he helped us in so many ways. You know, his competitive spirit, his play. Obviously, you know, he helped build you know us and uh, this iteration of us. And um, so, but, but the opportunity for him was one that he wanted, and you respect that, and you want the best for him, you know, under the circumstances. And I, I don't, I think, that uniformly throughout the organization, I know the team, I mean, everybody was quick to to reach out to him, and, you know, that, that sometimes, I don't think that seems hollow, but, you know, he's... He's in a place where he's dealing with something that's pretty serious at that moment, and I'm sure he was. More than anything, I thought it's it's scary, mm-hmm. you know. It's, there's fear involved in it, and I think we showed him as much support. He knows that. He knows how I feel about him, and I reached out to him, and I'm not going to bother him, but just wanted him to to know that, as I did after. You know, he chose to go to Boston. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, he he deserves good things to happen to him, and they will. I have every confidence that. Um, The same way that he he dove in and and as hard as he worked to become a player, that he'll do the same thing with his rehab. He knows how to do that.
2: Mm -hmm. Quinn, I know it's a busy weekend. Uh, Thanks for taking some time to join me here.
5: My pleasure. Good to see you. Thank you.
2: That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Bobby Marks and Quinn Snyder for joining the show. As always, you can download archived episodes on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, post a comment, leave a rating. You know I appreciate it. And
3: I'll see you next week. Thank you for downloading this episode of The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. He hasn't really distinguished himself. Chris is in desperate need of validation. I think your opinion is shared by everyone. So please, subscribe, like, comment. I I would punch him. that's, That's just my opinion. At your earliest convenience in the iTunes store.